1: everybody, welcome back to another episode of Believe in the Jaguars right here on the Believe Podcast Network. I'm your co-host, Phil Smith, a.k.a. Phil the Filipino. And as always, I am joined by the managing editor of the Jaguars Wire, Mr. James Johnson. Jay, we're heading into a week five matchup against yet another winless team. And man, let's hope we get a much better outcome. But before we talk about this upcoming game and introduce our guest, uh, how are you doing today, buddy?
0: Yeah, I'm good now that, you know, it takes a little time to get over these losses that the Jaguars are having. I mean, like they're losing the winless teams and uh but, you know, we're we're at Tuesday now, so this is right around that part of the week where everybody starts to recoup and, you know, kind of get over it and so on and so forth and I mean, I guess for me as a journalist, I don't really have enough time to even like settle in on the the uh, the previous loss, if you would, and it's like it's I got to move on to the Texans now like and look at all of their uh, reports and so on and so forth which we actually talked about bill o'brien was fired so you know we'll get into that later with the guests who uh you'll introduce and in all of that so yeah i'm good can't complain appreciate all of the love and support everybody's been giving us uh the show has been well received especially last month and uh yeah ready to get going and, and talk some uh, houston texans and whatever else we got on the um, table
1: yeah, I and mean, absolutely. Obviously, things not going very well for the Texans or the Jaguars. So that's why we're really excited to bring in our guests, which again, as Jay mentioned, I'll, we'll transition to here uh, a little bit later. We're going to talk about some news that broke uh, concerning the city of Jacksonville as well as the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, before we do that, we want to thank everybody that has gone over to Apple Podcasts, left a five-star review as well as your comments. We read all of those guys and Hey, we just thank you so much. All of the feedback we've gotten on social media has been great as well. So thank you. So if you are enjoying the show and if you have not gone on gotten a chance to go over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review, please do so. Uh, you can also listen to us on Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. Make sure you're following, subscribing to the show pretty much wherever you can. That looks really, really good as far as our statistics and how the show is doing. So that it helps us out a lot. And a reminder, of course, you can find us at Believe.com. And at Believe Podcast as part of that awesome Believe Podcast library. And as a reminder, this show is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, everybody. So let's get into some local news as far as Lot J is concerned. Now, to give you guys a little background, Jay and I are recording this on a Friday. We had everything. I, I had everything cut and edited and ready to go. And then an article comes out in the times union really kind of breaking down this deal. And we feel like it's very important that you guys know what is going on because a lot of our listeners are local. I'm here in Jacksonville, Jay frequents here all the time, even though he's based in Albany, but we really think, again, it's very important that you guys understand the ins and outs of this deal. Now we're not going to lie and sit up here and pretend that we are financial experts and pretend like we know exactly what's going on. However, There are some things in here that you definitely need to know. So let's backtrack just a little bit to the other day when Mayor Lenny Curry and Shad Khan were up there announcing how this deal was going to break down. And Jay, you put out an article on the Jaguars wire a couple of days ago, and I'm going to read off some of the, uh, the more important points of that. So after months of anticipation due to the coronavirus prolonging things, Jacksonville Jaguars owner Shad Khan in the city of Jacksonville reached an agreement for the development of Lot J. The project is one that has been years in the making, dating back to 2018. Now, per local members of the media here in Jacksonville, the $450 million project will include the following. Two residential buildings with 400 livable spaces, a hotel building with approximately 150 to 250 rooms, a retail space of approximately 75,000 square feet, an office space of about 40,000 square feet, ground-level parking lot with 750 spots, two other parking lots with an additional 350 spots, a 100,000-square-foot area for entertainment, including bars, various restaurants, and other indoor and outdoor facilities. According to Jacksonville Mayor Lenny Curry, the project will provide 2,300 construction-related jobs to build and 1,000 permanent jobs afterwards. Economically, Curry said the project could garner $100 million annually for the city and $2 billion in salaries for those connected to the operations over the span of 40 years. In terms of the city's contribution, over $152 million will be invested into the project. That includes $77.7 million for city-owned infrastructure, and that is per News for Jax. Additionally, the city will provide a $65.5 million loan to the developer, which is IC Parcel 1 holding company LLC, which is an affiliate of Cordish companies, which is who we've talked about before in terms of them building facilities like this around the country and other markets such as Atlanta, Arlington, things like that. The loan will be secured by a $13.1 million deposit, which is presently in a Jacksonville-owned trust account. With the plans now on the table, it will head over to the Jacksonville City Council to vote on, and then if approved, the process should begin early next year. So Jay, at ground level, this is what we knew Just a couple of days ago and we'll transition to what we know now here very shortly but what were your initial reactions to this you know and and again i guess it's kind of difficult put yourself in the shoes of a couple days ago jay where we thought okay this sounds like it's going somewhere it sounds like they're at least saying the right things and heading in the right direction
0: yeah yeah you're right you're right it it feels like uh they are trending in the right direction and i still think it gets done regardless uh but you know, I think it's possible now and you'll talk about it too, that like they might have to go back to the negotiating table if that's possible. And again, we're not we're not economists. We don't know how this thing works. But with the city council having to look at it, it's possible like that some adjustments might be made after they look at it and say like, hey, maybe we want to make this a little bit more taxpayer friendly uh, in, in terms of, you know, the burden on the te- uh, on on the actual people that live in Jacksonville now. In terms of how it looked, me and you discussed this like soon as we saw the video is it was right about what we expected at the same time. Uh, it's something that we were hoping embody Jacksonville more, if you will. And that's not not that's not to say the look doesn't embody Jacksonville a little bit as it is, because it does kind of look like the town center as it is. But, you know, it's just a duplicate it's just that it's a duplicate of the town center. It appears and something to basically replace the landing, but in a different location downtown. So the look of it, you know, like you just were hoping you or should I say uh, people of Jacksonville were hoping more for, you know, a different look than what we got. Uh, nonetheless, you know, maybe things could change down the road because as we all seen, these renderings don't normally pan out to be what they look like initially. And there are changes and modifications and so on and so forth. Uh, But that being said, I guess we'll see what the final product looks like. But, you know, even the look of it is, uh, you know, it looks like, as you said, the projects we've seen in Atlanta, Arlington, so on and so forth. Uh, Philadelphia has one. And uh, I think it's one in St. Louis as well. And uh, you were looking for you were hoping, at least, you know, from what the the renderings we've seen in the past, that it would have been a little bit of a different direction than those projects. But, you know, here we are. Right. And like you
1: said, this ultimately probably isn't what it looks like as far as a scale to scale representation of what this entire project is going to be. I'm, I'm sure it's going to look a little different. But again, like you said, at the ground level, looking at it at first glance, it's not really going to have a whole lot of Jacksonville feel. Again, It's just going to be more of I mean, a lot of us have been to Tampa and Orlando. I made the comment to Blythe when she came on a couple of months ago that we didn't want this to just be essentially some kind of Disney Springs or downtown Disney, if you will. But that's essentially what we're going to get. I I think I don't know if this is still the ultimate goal, Jay, but this city wants to host the Super Bowl again. Right. And this is going to be a step in that direction to try and get that game back, is it not?
0: Well, first and foremost, I say when you were describing it, the perfect word to say here is it kind of lacks character, if you will. Um, And it looks like things that we, as you said, things that we have seen uh, in the past around the uh, state of Florida and the nation as well. Now, yeah, you're right. It feels like the Jacksonville Jaguars or the city of Jacksonville do want to lobby for the Super Bowl one day again. The thing and the catch with that is the key for that is they need the hotel lodging behind it. And this project does bring hotel lodging. They're working on some projects downtown as well to, um you know, revamp the hotel scene down there as well and build more hotels down there as well. So I think the Super Bowl won't come back until, you know, they show that they have the adequate lodging in terms of the hotel, because that was the issue with the last Super Bowl with the Eagles and the um, New England Patriots, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Right. And I'm not saying it's going to happen, of course, immediately, but this, of course, would be a step in the right direction because you want to develop downtown to a point where it is going to be a destination that people want to come to. Uh, Essentially, what is going to be that new shot whenever we're on primetime television? Right. Because it's not going to be the landing anymore. What are they going to show? They're going to show all these awesome, you know, these sports bars and all of these these retail stores and the giant hotel. This is what they want to see. It's as much about. The image as anything else, as it is about the money. So speaking of the money, let's fast forward here a couple of days. Actually, just last night, Jay's, when you sent me this article from the Times Union. Now, this article came out on the 6th, so a couple of days ago, from Christopher Hong. And it has a lot of really important parts. And essentially, here's what's happening. So Jacksonville taxpayers will give Jaguars owner Shad Khan $65.5 million through an unusually structured loan that would charge no interest, take up to 50 years to repay, and significantly lessen Khan's tax burden. According to the proposed deal, he's reached with City Hall to build a mixed-use development on Lot J next to TIAA Bank Field that was announced this past Monday. Under the novel arrangement, the city will provide an upfront payment of $65.5 million to the billionaire's development team. Instead of repaying the loan over a fixed schedule, the developers would make an upfront deposit of $13.1 million into a trust account, which was mentioned in that article you used to put up J., Where the city expects it to grow in value over decades, the city would collect the money when the account's value reaches $65.5 or 50 years, whichever happens first. Counting the loan, Curry has promised committing as much as $233.3 million in public subsidies to the project, including as much as $205 million in hard cash. In comparison, the city plans to spend roughly $240 million this year across the city on big-ticket capital projects and infrastructure improvements. Khan's development team, which is a partnership between himself and the Cordish companies, plans to invest $229 million in the project, although the amount is actually $174.4 million when the proceeds of the city loan are accounted for. The loan included in the deal is best known in the real estate industry as a breadbox loan, a novel financial program designed to allow developers to receive money from municipal governments, much like a grant, while avoiding the significant federal tax impact of actually receiving one. According to the documents created by UTW Capital LLC, a firm that manages these types of loans. Now, although governments can expect to be repaid under, quote, reasonable circumstances, these loans can be structured to free a developer of any future obligation to make a lender whole in the event the initial deposit doesn't grow enough over the 50 year period to repay the loan, according to the UTW Capital documents. The city hasn't released any documents providing specific details about the structure of the loan. Mayor Lenny Curry said during a press conference on Monday that the city would loan Khan's development team $65.5 million, but he didn't say the loan would be interest-free or take as long as 50 years to be repaid. So let's stop right there, Jay, and unpack what we've learned thus far in this article. So I had to, of course, the bread box loan was something that I was not familiar with. Again, like we said, we are not financial experts, but when you sent me this information late last night and we discussed maybe having to re-record this portion of the show, this had a lot to do with it. So unpack a little bit of what I just read to, to everybody listening.
0: Yeah, so with the the bread box alone, pretty much, this is what me and you unpacked from it. With the bread box alone, the Jacksonville Jaguars, citizens or taxpayers, or we believe it seems like the way that this is structured, that the Jacksonville taxpayers, um, according to the money that Lenny Curry, not necessarily secured uh, a few months ago, but I guess you could say that uh, the money that Lenny Curry said he would be committing to the project was around two hundred and thirty-three million towards the project. So we'll just we'll we'll centralize this around that figure, two hundred and thirty-three million of the four hundred and fifty million. Uh, Coming from the city, it feels like based on what Lenny Curry uh, said, the city will be committing months ago. So if you add in the loan, in addition to that, the bread box loan, which is helping out Shad Khan, which feels like it also will fall on the taxpayers as well, which kind of acts as a grant based off of this article. then Shad Khan, and this is the figure that you came up with, actually, when we were going through uh, with with this text will be paying in actuality $175 million. So it feels like the taxpayers are going to be paying more of this and they're actually helping Shot Khan pay for some of his side of the deal with this bread box uh, loan that you mentioned as well, which, you know, if it goes in the direction of being paid out over the course of 50 years, that's something that we'll be paying for or the city of Jacksonville will be paying for, should I say, uh, probably when me and you are dead, you know, unless, you know, we live to be in our 80s or whatever the case may be. So, you know, like this is something the city could be paying for for a while, uh, just based off of that information uh, that we unpack. Now, I mean, it could be paid off quicker than that as well, of course, uh, but it's kind of one of those time will tell things. But in the end, if we look back at this in 50 more years and taxpayers are still paying on this, then it feels like it definitely probably wouldn't be worth it. In that case, I don't know if you agree with me or the people of Jacksonville agree with me. And again, I'm a citizen of Albany right now, so I shouldn't speak for the people of Jacksonville. But, um, you know, like that's just something worth considering there. Right. So I'm trying to find the numbers that you
1: we initially spoke about here, Jay, because we initially had understood that Shad Khan would be paying, what, 350 million out of the 450 million that was proposed in order to get this project done, correct? So we initially thought that number was much higher than it actually is.
0: Yeah, so yeah, according to Ben Becker, he reported this before the actual, uh, you know, press conference or the revealing of Lot J. Uh, Ben Becker of, I think he's with First Coast News, or he's with Action News Jack, excuse me. Uh, The numbers he laid out, $450 in total, which we said, one hundred and fifty million from the city and three hundred and fifty or, or three hundred million from uh, Shah Khan. So those were the figures we were initially looking at. And now with this information we've unpacked from uh, courtesy of, I think, it's the, uh, the Florida Times Union. You know, it feels like that is not the case. And those numbers were off. So those initial numbers that Ben Becker gave out at least were significantly off, in my opinion, when you look at this.
1: And we're going to try and get somebody on sometime next week with more of a financial background to kind of explain this to us a little bit better. But at ground level, just kind of a basic understanding. Essentially, what I'm getting is Shad Khan, again, as you mentioned, that number, Jay, is roughly fronting the bill for about $175 million out of what we initially thought was $300 million. And most of that and, and a lot of that $300 million is coming essentially from a loan from the city that we he doesn't necessarily have to pay back for at least another 50 years. And I'm not sure how old Shad Khan is now, but I don't know if he's going to be around another 50 years. And just like you said, Jay, a lot of us, I mean, essentially the taxpayer here in Jacksonville will be paying off this loan for the rest of their lives. If it doesn't come to the amount that is, I think, 65, I think what we said, 65.5 million. If that's not paid back within 50 years, we're essentially paying off this loan as the taxpayer for the rest of our lives and into you know my daughter's life she's 13 now and you know she'll be you know in her 60s if this thing goes the entire 50 years
0: so also to feel, if it falls in the grant category then in, in the case of a grant from what i gather grants don't have to be paid back as well if it falls into that category as well so he might not have to pay much of that at all that figure that we're looking at or that loan figure at all, But it's one of those time will tell type of things. And again, like you said, we could get a financial expert in to speak on it. But, you know, when we talk about grants, man, you can refer to those, too, because we were in college. You know, there are certain grants that apply for us that, you know, that you could put towards college or, you know, that will spend towards college that you don't have to pay back, like in a scholarship situation where eventually you got to pay that money back or whatever the case may be. Um, But yeah, that's something worth noting too. Now, if this thing ends up, this loan ends up falling in the grant category, then shot Khan, it, it feels like at least, uh, really is getting off at the expense of the taxpayers. It seems, at least from how I gather it.
1: Yeah, some other information from this Times Union article: the proposed agreement calls for the city to spend as much as ninety-two point eight million on public infrastructure at the development. Although the agreement states the expected amount is uh, to, is expected to be seventy seven point seven million, the city would spend as much as fifty million dollars to build the estimated one hundred million dollar entertainment district, pay twelve point five million for the hotel, and provide twelve point five million in property tax rebates over twenty years for two residential buildings. And some of the research that I did here on this Jay it essentially looks as if Shad Khan, and this is really just kind of a billionaire thing, honestly. And there's there's a much higher uh, issue here that we're not going to get into because we're not that kind of show. There's a much deeper issue with this deal that Shad Khan is going is possibly going to get that is better spoken on from a different st- type of podcast. We're not going to do that. Essentially, what it sounds like to me is Shad Khan is trying to sh- uh, he's trying to show that he's footing most of this bill, but trying to hi- essentially cut a deal behind the scenes that is really masking all of that. So we just think all what we see face level, face value is that, oh, he's paying 300 million dollars, but really that's not the case. And that should bother people. That's very problematic because, Jay, this leads into something down the line that you mentioned last night when we were texting back and forth. He might come back in the next couple of years and ask for another 300, 400 million dollars to renovate the stadium or, or else. So, you know, some kind of ultimatum, you know what I mean?
0: Right, right, right. And even before I get into that, like, you know, the whole aspect of, you know, the taxpayers having to pay a majority of this if they have to pay a majority of this from what we're gathering is, you know, I was listening to the Bold City take and they kind of echoed some sentiments that I kind of agree with, too, I guess. And I don't want to put no words in anybody's mouth, but essentially. Uh, What they were saying is like, you know, they know that the deals to get these kind of projects, especially for Jacksonville, a city that people don't want to build in. And that's no offense to Jacksonville. I love Jacksonville personally, Um, but that's no offense to Jacksonville. But to get people to want to build in that in the city of Jacksonville uh, on the Bowl City tape, what they were saying is, you know, they kind of expect cricket deals to kind of get done basically for that to even happen because nobody really wants to build there. And, you know, it's just going to take a, a type of deal that's kind of like a burden, if you will, on the taxpayers or heavy on the taxpayer side of the thing, which, you know, sometimes when you look at cities around the nation, the cities that want to build their downtown area, sometimes that's what it takes is, you know, a lot of the taxpayers money to get these cities where they want it to be. And, you know, some people will be all right with that in the end when it's all said and done and some people won't. You know, it just depends on what side of the bridge that you, uh, you you sit on on that, you know. But, you know, sometimes as the old saying says, sometimes whether we like it or not, it pay you. You have to pay the cost to be the boss sometimes or pay the cost in this case to be the city in this case, which, again, you know, when you when you got a guy like Khan, you would hope that he would help a little bit more than he is and, and is perceiving that he is. Uh, but again, like you said, that's another story. For another time what's the issue with what the taxpayers are going to put into this project and not only that i think i heard uh or i read nate monroe say um also on uh, other times union on twitter that the Jacksonville or the city of Jacksonville is also going to spend around 200 million into uh building other parts of downtown as well so that's also money that the taxpayers may have to foot as well in addition to this project as well but In terms of uh, the stadium thing, yeah. When you look at it from the stadium perspective, not only are you asking for these figures that me and you just discussed on the taxpayers' end, in terms of uh, not only will he ask for you know some kind of money to go towards the stadium, they're going to be footing the stuff that's going on outside of the stadium as well, or vast majority of it. So, like, combining those two prices is is going to be hefty, man. We're looking at maybe uh, between lot J what the taxpayers put in that and what the taxpayers might have to put in the stadium. We're looking at 500 million maybe, and that might be being nice because let's just say what, what Shah Khan wants to put towards the stadium is 250 million because what they have been alluding to in the past, and this has not mostly been Mark Lamping is what classifies as major stadium renovations Feel is renovations of 400 million or more you would have to think just based off of what we've seen not a shotgun Khan in the past he's going to want the taxpayers to foot at least half of that so we're looking at 200 that that's going into or more that's going into stadium renovations down the road uh maybe you know you would hope especially how this deal with like j goes he would match that or put more uh towards it as well to make it around the 500 million dollar mark or whatever the case may be but from what we've seen he may not He may not. And uh, that's concerning in itself. And it's just concerning in itself in, in terms of the fact that, you know, that he's asking for people to pay for stuff outside of the stadium as well as the renovations as well, which basically when you put all of that together as well. Dude, that'll be like half the amount of a new stadium when you're looking at what brand new stadiums cost as well. So, like, people can make the argument that, hey, like, this money we're putting towards Lot J, we could put that towards stadium renovations because it's city owned in the first place. So, you know, I don't mind paying for something city owned, and Lot J might be city owned as well. If now that I think about it, but I don't mind paying for something that I know is city owned in the stadium and the renovations that will go towards it.
1: So I guess to play devil's advocate to uh, our own point here, because it is, it is bothersome and it it does as me being here in Jacksonville, it's something, you know, it's not initially on my mind, but then when you really look at some of the information that's coming out, it, it does get upsetting. But again, to play devil's advocate, you know, Jacksonville, I would say, you know, shouldn't have an NFL team that dates all the way back to 95 when they won the franchise. Right. And it's still a stigma that they're fighting today. Shad Khan is, has been and shown that he's been willing to invest in the city. and hope you know, what happens with the London games going forward? We're not sure. But for right now, you know we have the team. He's invested in the upgrades, he's invested in the Daily's place. and now, even though it's not the amount that we want it to be, he's investing in La J. So I guess what it ultimately? Is the taxpayer, is the citizen here in Jacksonville, what are they willing to do to make Jacksonville a little bit more relevant in comparison to a Tampa, to an Orlando, to a Miami, all three major markets that the argument is those are much more appealing places to a to somebody from out of town, right? And And I think ultimately this is a sacrifice that people, May just have to be okay with in order to invest in downtown and make it the hub that we want it to be, because locals here we understand. You know, if if you want culture, go down, go down to Riverside, go to the go to the beach. It, it's everywhere. It really is. But what's going to attract the standard consumer, and it's going to be a Under Armour sports bar or uh, you know a five star hotel. Um, that that's going to be appealing to somebody coming in from out of town or somebody who's just looking for you know just a a a fun night out they're they're not thinking about all the other stuff they're gonna see oh there's an nbc sports bar down here you know or there's all this other all these other amenities that's what they're going to be looking at and not necessarily going to do do the deep dive that we have that we're doing right now
0: yeah i want to say this too phil uh yeah like you hit it right on the head that's to appeal to casuals i mean that's not to say that you know uh, people that are from Jacksonville aren't going to go to, you know, the sports bars that's going to be there or the uh, restaurants that's going to be there or even utilize the hotels that's going to be there. or Whatever the case may be, that's not to say people of Jacksonville aren't going to utilize it. And I mean, at the end of the day, also, there are, as we've mentioned as well, there are livable places there for the actual Jacksonville public as well. I think that's the best part of this is that, uh, you know, we finally have a opportunity for more people to live downtown in a in a nice area, in a nice hub, if you will. And they're kind of close to the Jacksonville Jaguars. So, you know, that's a big perk for, you know, really diehard Jacksonville Jaguars fans like you and I, like, hey, you mean to tell me I could live literally walking distance away from the actual stadium? That's kind of cool in itself. So I think that's one of the more cool aspects of it. But in terms of the, like you said, yeah, the restaurants, and all of the other stuff, the live venue and all of that and the hotel, that's more so made for casuals that's coming into town. And also like, I think that kind of thing does help when people come into town and say, and and see uh, that lot J compartment or whatever you want to call it. And that kind of persuades them to want to move to Jacksonville. You know, those are the kind of things that people come to a city and say, Hey, I actually like this place and so on and so forth. Of course, you know, they're going to have to build more downtown. It can't be just that neighborhood and and whatnot. But, you know, that is something that can persuade people to move more into the city. And again, you know, it does, uh, the project is going to be providing jobs. And, you know, they've also said that it could pour out a lot of money in terms of the revenue that it brings in and so on and so forth. So we'll see on that type of thing. But yeah, you're right. Uh, Also, something I want to touch on too is, uh, something you also kind of touched on is, um, you know, the Jacksonville Jaguars and the games in London. I think, and this is the issue that a lot of the fans from How I Gather It have an issue with, is that Lenny Curry should be pushing to get this deal done with Shotgun, but also what should come with it for the Lot J, especially for what, you know, the taxpayers are going to pay for it. What they want with it is more long-term security and in, in terms of keeping the Jacksonville Jaguars in Jacksonville, getting more games back in Jacksonville, getting a full schedule back in Jacksonville, and so on and so forth. I mean, you can argue they make a great point if you're going to be paying, what, $230 million towards a project outside of the stadium. That's not even stadium renovations. Then, yeah, like you would like to see Lenny Curry try and get more security for the Jacksonville Jaguars and have more home games in Jacksonville and even lock down the lease For the Jacksonville Jaguars to remain in Jacksonville Jacksonville for the future. Exactly. And and like we said, Jay and I are going to work
1: on getting somebody maybe from the Times, Jr., maybe from News for Jackson, just somebody that can, again, explain this a little bit better and really break it down the way that we think we understand it. And uh, because, as you can see, we could talk about this for for a really, really long time. Um, But ultimately, you know, it's something we need to keep an eye on. And it's it's something that's very important. And ultimately, like you said, Jay, it it is going to create a lot of jobs. They stated that they're going to invest in minority-owned businesses and women-backed businesses, which is really important, especially at a time like this. If you spent any time listening to our podcast, you know that Jay and I are both minorities. And you know when you hear stuff like that, it sounds great. But of course, the old adage is, "Your actions are going to speak way louder." And we hope that they follow through. Um, But ultimately, guys, uh, you know, I think we're going to leave it at that. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to add on in terms of the LaJ situation? Jay, otherwise, you know, we'll transition into the setting up this guest that we had, who's who's honestly one of our favorite guests to have on.
0: Nah. Yeah, that's all I had to say, man. Um I'm excited to get into this interview with our guests um, because we, he had us on his show initially. So we returned a favor. Um, and as you said, yeah, yeah. Quality, quality interview uh, with a quality guest
1: absolutely guys so of course we are going to go behind enemy lines with the houston texans and this week we had the opportunity to have james from texans unfiltered which you know of course we're not fans of the houston texans but we are fans of his show because it's it's great and we had a great conversation with him Uh, so with that being said you guys let's get into behind enemy lines with the houston texans All right, guys, it's time to go behind enemy lines with the Houston Texans. And for this discussion, we have a very special guest. We have James from Texans Unfiltered, who Jay and I had an opportunity to join in the offseason. So naturally, we had to return that favor. So, James, it's really good to see you again. We hope that you're doing well, you know, despite the season not going so great for both of our teams thus far. How are you?
2: Yeah, I'm doing good. I mean, 0-4, 1-3. and, 4, 1 and 3, What's the difference, really? You know, what's the difference?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, before we get started, you know, let everybody know what it is you do. Let everybody know about your show and where they can also, of course, find you and your co-host on social media.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, and thanks again for having us on. Um, you can follow uh, us on Twitter at. You can follow me at Houston FB Podguy, and then you can follow uh, my co-host John A Wade Three. Um, you can follow the podcast anywhere on um, any of the Instagram or Twitter at. Um, Houston FB Pod, and you can find the podcast on any platform. We also have a YouTube channel, Texans Unfiltered. Uh, we do a lot of player uh, interviews and and coaches and things of that nature. So, uh, really excited to uh, to be on here.
1: Yeah, absolutely, man. When we when we spoke a few months ago, I mean, Jay and I told you, you know, you're doing a lot of really awesome things that we're a little envious of. They have great merch, I know. Our listener base probably isn't going to buy that merch, but it is pretty cool if you want to go go check it out. But let's get right into the questions here because, of course, we have Jaguars-Texans this week. And uh, <laughs> it's been an interesting 48 hours here for you. I'm, I'm really glad that we were able to get you on this week uh, because, of course, the Texans let go of Bill O'Brien. And when we first talked to you a couple months back, you mentioned that you were a fan of his despite some of the questionable, questionable decision-making that he's made. Now of course with the team off to the 0 and 4 start that ultimately led to his dismissal so do you feel like it's the right choice this early into the season and also who would you like to see re- replace him
2: Yeah so you know I've always said that I I told I, I don't know if I told you guys but I said through week 4 would be kind of my my when I would kind of check back in on Bill O'Brien and I really wanted to give him a chance you know for me it was more of a a personal thing because I shot him an email three years ago and asked him to come on the podcast when we started and he did it and he didn't have to, we had nothing going on. So for me, it's, it's very hard to separate the personal from the professional, the professional aspect of things. You know, he, he was in over his head, you know, general manager, offensive coordinator, head coach, um, really nothing to show for it in the past. And, you know, we've taken steps forward, but then we always tend to 10 steps back. And this year, you know, with trading DeAndre Hopkins, you know, it sucks. DeAndre is great, but I really liked what the offense was around Deshaun. And I thought that there was a good chance this offense could really start off extremely well. You know, COVID happened and, and, you know, but it impacted every team. But what you're seeing this season is you're seeing teams that have kind of stuck together and kept their nucleus from the previous season have just picked up right where they left off last year. And the teams that are implementing new offenses and new weapons, they weren't able to do so. And, you know, Sure, the schedule was tough. Chiefs, Ravens, Steelers, you know, all three teams are probably top teams in the AFC. But, you know, then you come to the Minnesota Vikings who were, you know, 0-3 as well. And this team just didn't look like it had a heart. This is the first time in the Bill O'Brien era where things have, our our team has been back, you know, back up against the wall and the players didn't respond. And that's usually not the case. You know, usually things happen, you know, 18, we started off 0-3, rattled off nine wins, players were playing hard. This this year it was just totally different. You could see it in the body language. You could see it in the press. You could see it in every way about these players. They gave up, and he lost the locker room finally. And it was time for him to move on. Now, as far as who we want to hire, you know, I don't know. You know, a lot of people are talking about Eric Bieniemy. Obviously, I have no problem hiring Eric Bieniemy. I think he could be really good. I just am worried about how much of it is Andy Reid and how much of it is him. That's my biggest concern is, you know, when I look at the skill set of the players that they have on the Chiefs offense, we don't have that. And if you don't have that, what is that offense really going to look like? And is he good enough X and O's to schematically build another offense around Deshaun with the players that they have? So um, when I look at this team, you know, Eric Bain be good. I'd be fine with the defensive head coach. Um, I don't know if Robert Salia or however you pronounce his name would be the guy. Um, I know there's a lot of rah rah, but that guy has a ton of talent on the defense on the 49ers, and you have to wonder how much of that is really a defensive coordinator calling plays. Lincoln Riley is probably the most intriguing piece for me. You know, when I look at coaches and I I, I look at what the NFL is turning into, a lot of young guys that are evolving uh, and having success early in the league, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that it's um, you know they're they're just evolving and and they aren't stuck in their ways. And I think Lincoln Riley would be a very interesting when you look at what he's done with all the quarterbacks he's played. I think Lincoln Riley would be an amazing head coach for this team. You just have to wonder if that'll be the case. Keeping Jack Easterby is the biggest issue I have with this team. Bill O'Brien brought him in. He's a snake. He was a snake in in the Patriots. Uh, He pretty much hung Bill O'Brien out to dry. And he was a part of all the decisions that we've made over the last 18 months. So the fact that he's still here means that I think we're going to go Josh McDaniels. We're going to try to get Nick Casario again. And we're going to try to build Patriots 2.0 all over again. And that I'm not excited about.
1: Gotcha. And I guess it's just as a follow-up for that. So do you think the team is an appealing destination for potential head coaches due to the lack of draft picks and also the cap situation over there?
2: Yeah. So, you know, a lot of people talk about the cap. you know, the cap can be manipulated in so many ways. The Chiefs had seven hundred and ten dollars entering the season and yet were able to extend Mahomes, Chris Jones, and 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 uh, and Travis Kelsey. I think it's something that you can do, but I'm not really worried about the cap. When you look at the cap and you look at the things that are happening, um, you know, you can, Brandon Cooks, David Johnson, uh, Whitney Merciless, J.J. Watt, there's a lot of ways that we can get, uh, we can free up. I think I did the math today and you can free up $54 million, uh, you know, entering next season. The draft picks, you know, it's one season, really. You know, if you actually look at it, next year is the last year of us not having a first and a second round pick. You know, if a head coach is not going to take the position because of that, you um, You know, I think you're probably not the right guy for the job, to be honest with you. You know, there is talent on the team. And if if that's going to be something that you're weary of, then you should probably find another position. Um, But, you know, when you have Deshaun Watson, I don't really know where else you're going to get a team that has a top five, potential top five quarterback. I guess you can safely say top 10 now. Um, You know, we were talking I I did an emergency pod last night, and I I was saying, I, I can't remember the last time a team that got, you know, fired their head coach, They fired a head coach of a team that has a franchise quarterback, the level of Deshaun Watson. I can't think of a time that this has happened, honestly. And so I would think it would be a premier destination, but, you know, maybe not.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I wanted to add something, too, you know, with what he said about the enemy, you know, and like some of the people that they're throwing out, you know, with the enemy, I'm a big fan of him, but he does, uh, you know, James, you do make a point because with the enemy, I would like the enemy to come also with Mike Borgazzi out of their front office as well, you know what I'm saying. So that way, you know, the scouting department is basically taken care of as well, and you know, the enemy can just focus on X's and O's and what have you. So it feels like with him, some people might feel like it has to be like a package deal, you know, with somebody else from that that front office or whatever the case may be. Uh, but I mean, still, and you do make a good point about you know you have to wonder how much is Andy Reid and how much is him as well. Um, you mentioned uh, with uh, Robert S- uh, Sally. Um, I hope I ain't be- um, butchered his name because he used to be on our staff. Actually, he was under Gus Bradley and uh, was with Todd Wash as well. But he's a guy that keeps coming up too. And yeah, again, you have to wonder: Is it the talent that he has on that defensive side of the ball? Because we saw that with Gus Bradley uh, when we took him, we found out, you know that. This guy wasn't the best suited to be a head coach, but he had a ton of talent in Seattle that made him look significantly better than what he was. Same applies for Todd Wash, who came from that staff as well. So you you make some interesting points there. But um, for me, my question is I want to know what are your expectations for the Texans the rest of the way? Uh, because the Titans, they are undefeated currently. The Colts have looked significantly better since playing us week one. And, uh, you know, that being said, do you feel this is something that Houston can kind of climb their way back into uh, with Romeo Cornell? I guess I think that's who they named at the interim. Can they do it with Romeo Cornell and what they have currently?
2: Yeah, so I don't think they can win the division. Um, I think the Colts are are, are probably the team that's going to win the division. I think that they are starting to click and they just look a lot different. Their defense is really, really good. We talked about it when when we recorded that, you know, Iberflus is a hell of a defensive coordinator. You know, the Titans, look, I, I still don't buy the Titans. I really don't, I don't think they're very good. I think that defense can, with a, if they go against a, a decent offense, I think they're gonna have problems. Um, and I just don't think the Titans are a good team. I, I, T- Tannehill hasn't really been exposed yet. They really haven't played a tough defense and they're still relying on Derrick Henry. Um, you know, I think the Texans can get that seventh spot, that new spot that they added for the playoffs. I think that that's realistic. You know, when you look at the schedule, we still have all our division games, which, so we haven't lost one of those yet. Um, and we have the Browns, the Patriots, the Packers, the Lions, the Bears, and the Bengals. I think eight and eight, nine and seven is still a possibility. You know, we've seen eight and eight teams win divisions prior to this, so you know, I think an eight and eight, nine and seven team can probably get that 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 seventh spot. I don't think they can win the, the division, and you know, I'd love to say that that's a chance, but I, they have such a big hole. I I just don't know if it's possible, but they did it 0-3. So, I mean, maybe they can do it 0-4. But, you know, this is different, you know, with the interim head coaches and all that. Like, Romeo has experience, but you have to wonder, like, what is the feeling in the locker room with the interim, right? They know this is not permanent. They know new guys are coming in. You know, Tim Kelly is going to be interesting because he probably has no shot of getting another offensive coordinator spot given that he's never had that position. This is really his, like, interview, Right he comes out and cuts Deshaun loose and Deshaun looks like rookie Deshaun Watson Tim Kelly's gonna you know he has a point to prove so I don't know I I think it's fair to say eight and eight nine and seven and potentially you know make a run for that seventh spot but I don't think the division is within within reach to be honest with you.
0: Right right yeah you make a good point about Kelly too Um, he's somebody that we kind of researched coming into the uh, search for offensive coordinator it might not have even been this year It might have been last year when they got a John D. Filippo, and his name kept coming up because I think he has some kind of connection with Doug Marone or he's a good friend of Doug Marone's or something like that. And, you know, when people look at his body of work with Deshaun Watson for the most part, you know, it's been pretty good. So yeah, you know, you, you never know like that he could get elevated into that head coaching role if he, you know, impresses enough and so on and so forth. But again, like you said, it's it's just kind of early and it's a time will tell type of thing.
1: Well, on the episode that we released earlier this week, uh, James, I told Jay that it's too bad we're not in the NFC East. Otherwise, we'd be right in this thing. If we if we were in the NFC East, we'd be right there. But uh, the next question I want to ask you is is something I want to I want to I wanna get your uh, opinion on because the Jags have some experience in pushing players away, as a lot of people know from the outside looking in. So you Jay and I are huge fans of Deshaun Watson and we lobbied for the Jags to take him at the time, even though we still had Blake Bortles. So my question is this, so is there any kind of worry or fear within the fan base that even though he signed this massive extensive uh, extension, would he eventually want to try and force his way out? Is that something that's, that's been discussed within the fan base?
2: Uh, I mean, the fan base, the fan base is, you know, they're, you know, they're fickle fan base, right. And just just like everywhere, but he added a no trade clause to his contract. And um, I I don't think that there's any way that Deshaun Watson's gone. I think he, he, when, when he signed the extension, uh, when he added that, I would assume that he added that because he, he assumed there would be turnover at the head coaching position. And he didn't want a new head coach to come in and be able to select his guy. Right. We just saw it with Kyler Murray and Josh Rosen. Uh, And he has the best agent in the world and David Mugaletta. So, you know, I think he put that in there for a couple of reasons. I think he put it in there to protect himself, to make sure he wasn't shifted, you know, shipped out to, uh, you know, New York or you know any of the other bad teams in the league. But I also think he did it because he really loves Houston. I mean, this guy is Houston to the death. I mean, this guy really represents the city. He's all about it. He embraces the culture. He does so much for the community. Um, I don't expect him to want out of Houston. Now, I say that prior to us landing another head coach, right? I mean, if we go Patriots 2.0 again, and you know the results are the same. I mean, we're talking about a winner, a guy that has won his entire life. He's not going to settle for losing much longer. And so, ultimately, I would say that's my fear. But I don't think it's the turmoil or the front office stuff. I think it's more of just the fact that he's not winning. And I would I wouldn't be surprised if he's involved in the head coaching you know search. I I I, I said it from the beginning treat him like Kobe and treat him like LeBron let him be involved let him let him talk to these guys he's not gonna have final say but let him give you a feeling for what he's looking for because he did have an amazing relationship with Bill O'Brien up to this year um and then you know obviously fell off so I don't think there's any worry in the fan base I mean you see it but I I just I think legitimately I don't think anybody's really concerned
0: yeah I would say this man um like i didn't know he didn't have the no trade clause in there um i don't know did you know that either Phil? like that's no i new didn't that's good to know yeah yeah but that's interesting because like that does say a lot when you put that kind of a clause in your contract that says if you move on from bill o'brien like you probably should let me have something to do with this process True. probably so like that does speak volumes and that is kind of smart of him and at the end of the day He can, you know, like you said, he has David Mulageta as his agent, but he can go back and say, like, if it ain't going the way he wants to, like, yeah, remove that clause and let me out of here. So on and so forth. And we're seeing how the league is uh, moving in the direction where it's becoming a little bit more of a player's league. But, you know, it's still a ways to go. But I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, like he does have a huge impact or a huge say in whoever is the next guy to be there.
2: Well, you also got to think with the trade, no trade clause. Like Bill O'Brien literally just shipped off DeAndre Hopkins, to and Clowney. Like he's probably like, nope. You don't have. You're not going to be able to do that to me. I don't care what happens. I'm not your fall guy. So, probably all sorts cert- all sorts of reasons why he actually did it.
1: Yeah, and you make a good point about the the part about how Deshaun has been a winner his entire career because when you see guys, and I think there's the I think it was against the Texans. There's that famous video clip of Jalen on the sideline when he was still a Jaguar of him just mouthing I'm so sick of losing I'm so tired of losing and you see Jay we just talked about this yesterday DJ Chark you can just tell in his body language There, you know players don't like losing none of us like to lose and eventually what kind of toll does that take Uh, and I just want to reiterate you know for anybody listening I am in no way saying that Deshaun Watson is, is going to Uh, is going to want to leave i'm just saying is that something that you know would be worried about and i'm glad that you you gave that insight there so i think for jaguar fans we'd like to see him leave the division but i don't think it's going to happen either so uh, with that being said jay why don't you go ahead and get into the next question
0: um so for our listeners who didn't get the chance to uh listen to your afc south preview uh, we had opportunity to join you for that and uh, we want to know uh, if, so you could reiterate it on our podcast. Basically, what were your thoughts on the Texans' off season? Um, albeit again, you know, the guy that was ahead of the whole operation is gone in Bill O'Brien.
2: You know, I think the way the off season went down, you know, DeAndre Hopkins in general, you know, it was a tough pill to swallow. But at the same time, you know, for me, it was always about the compensation received. It wasn't necessarily about moving on from DeAndre Hopkins. I am one of Very few that get attached to players, you know. I feel like the entire team outside of Deshaun Watson should be available for a specific price. It's always how I felt about my teams that I follow or root for, or you know, or write for. And you know, he could be moved, but it was just you know a second-round pick and David Johnson. Like that'll never make sense, no matter what you try to do. Every time you try to push that deal through on any trade simulator, it's going to get rejected, whether it's Madden or the ESPN one. It doesn't matter. It's, it's going to be rejected. Even if you have forced trade on, it's still going to get rejected. So when you know, that's probably the biggest issue I have. On top of that, they really didn't address the defense. To me, the biggest issue with this team entering the season was the defense. Now, we've seen a lot of uh, positives with Anthony Weaver. Uh, he's been very exotic uh, with his scheme and getting people involved the pass rushes come out of nowhere it's not great but it's better than what we expected so you know i would say that was probably the biggest downside to the offseason was the fact that we just didn't have any additions on the defensive side of the ball that really were warranted you know we we paid randall cobb you know 36 million dollars we paid eric murray a backup safety you know 26 million dollars there were some issues but at the end of the day like when i look at the offense i felt like the offense you know even though randall cobb got overpaid Um, I I felt like he made sense given, you know, that we've never had a reliable slot receiver and that's where Deshaun likes to throw the ball. Um, And then with Cooks, he was more insurance. If Will Fuller gets hurt, you still have a speed guy on the outside and you can go do what you need to do. So, you know, the offseason was bland and boring, but, you know, I thought that they did what they could.
1: All right, James, we'll get into our last couple of questions here. Uh, Again, just as a reminder, you guys, you can check James out over on the Texans Unfiltered podcast. And let's uh, switch gears here to this weekend's matchup. Uh, Who are some players that, you know, maybe Jaguar fans may not be as familiar with uh, on y'all's team that could very well be X factors for this Sunday? And also, uh, you're the we're adding this new question to all of our guests. You're the very first person we're going to get to ask this is, is there anybody on the Jaguars roster that you wouldn't mind plucking from us and placing on the Texans? Is there anybody that you've seen that's really just kind of wowed you and you'd be like, man, I wouldn't mind seeing that guy on our team.
2: Um, so for, for an X factor, um, I think a guy that I would, I would start to get to know is, is tight end Jordan Akins. Um, I think he is a star in the making just, I mean, he's older. He, he was 26 when we drafted him quick guy built like Travis Kelsey uh, plays like Travis Kelsey And he, um, he's really come on uh, as of late and Deshaun seems to trust him. So um, I I would definitely, um, I would watch for Jordan Akins on the defensive side of the ball. uh, Bradley Roby has shown to be a cornerback one this entire year. If you look at his stats, um, he covered Tyreek Hill, um, Marquise Goodwin, or no, sorry, that's your guy, uh, Hollywood Brown. Um, And uh, I think he only allowed like three catches for like 36 yards or something like that on like 12 targets um, against the Steelers. He handled well, uh, same actually with the Vikings. He's, he's really been our standout corner. Um, so I would say those are probably the, the two guys that I would, I would look for. And then as far as picking, you know, who I would pick from the Jacksonville Jaguars, it'd probably be miles Jack. I, I love miles Jack. If it's not miles Jack, I'd probably go Brandon Linder but um miles jack is the kind of linebacker that this team really needs and he's just a rare linebacker in my opinion there's not a lot of miles jacks uh, in the nfl and dude's got speed size able to cover and very physical
1: see guys and that's how you know when you have a guest that knows what they talk what they're talking about when they say brandon linder because brandon linder is finally getting you know, I think the the comeuppance and the respect that he, he deserves, Jay. And, uh, yeah, Jay and I just talked about this the other day. And if you want to, you know, add on to that, Jay, Miles Jack's been playing like a top three, top five linebacker this year. And now he's finally back on the outside and out of that Mike linebacker spot. And he's been playing great. So, yeah, I, I can definitely see that.
0: Yeah, yeah, he is somebody, I mean, I, I always had this affinity for UCLA players. Don't ask me why, but um, I mean, I'm a UGA fan, but whatever reason, I always like UCLA players. So he's a guy that I think it actually, I know why it dates back to when Maurice Jones drew and Mercedes Lewis was back there together on the same team. Uh, But yeah, he's a guy that I, I've always said, you know, that was right around when I really started looking at film. He's a guy that's like arguably like the most versatile player that I've ever evaluated in history. I mean, he literally covered Nelson Aguilar at UCLA uh, at the cornerback position. Now, he wasn't a fit necessarily for the Mike linebacker spot. And that was just straight up, uh, you know, just terrible on his part. But when you put him in an area where he could just read and react and do that kind of stuff, like, yeah. He's he's made for that kind of stuff, like the weak side linebacker that he's playing at right now, albeit the system as a whole is just kind of terrible. But yeah, man, can't say enough good things about that guy.
1: And the very last thing, uh, the Jaguars have gifted two straight teams their first win of the year, and you guys are up. So ultimately, do you see the Texans getting their first win this Sunday?
2: So I'll be honest, I think this te- Texans team is going to come out and really just hit you guys in the mouth. And, and And a lot of that just has to do with the fact that you know this happens every time a coach is fired one it's the way the NFL works the players have weights lifted off their shoulders same with the coaches and with all the news around Bill O'Brien that we're hearing about some of the things that were that were happening over the last 2 weeks it's it's you know there you know i had a player tell me that you know that basically everybody's walking around eggshells the entire last 2 weeks uh, nobody felt comfortable players didn't feel comfortable uh, there's a report that there was a screaming match between him and Tim Kelly uh, 2 weeks ago uh, he was firing people. Uh, and instead of like letting players go and firing them the normal way, he was basically telling them to get that out, uh, and get out of my, like, just, I don't know if that's true because that's not the bill O'Brien. I know, uh, not that like, I know him, know him, but to me and, and Jay, you could probably attest to this, but like if you send an email to a head coach and they have no reason to come on your podcast and they do, and it does nothing for them. Usually that's a sign of like a good person and a good character. Right. And when you take into consideration who he is as a person and a dad, you know, he has his son, Jack, who, you know, has I I forgot what it was, but I think like something like MS, he's basically in a wheelchair, he can't do anything. I don't know. I I don't believe a lot of that stuff. But either way, this team just body language wise, the last three weeks has looked completely out of it. And I think Tim Kelly has a point to prove. Uh, All we heard all offseason was how smart this dude is, and we just haven't seen it. And so I, I don't know I I don't see this team going 0 and five I really I just can't see it and uh, I think Deshaun is kind of this should light a fire under him and hopefully it does and hopefully this team you know can do some do some things but I don't expect us to lose to the Jags but you guys can run on us all over no matter where you want to run A gap B gap C gap outside stretches zones it doesn't really matter just go where you guys want um, but passing will be a little bit difficult.
0: So, uh James is telling you, everybody, we are out here giving fantasy advice on this podcast. Yeah, start okay? James Robinson, I mean, is what he said. Rob- right. <laughs> exactly. And I got James Robinson in our league, Phil. So, you already know. know I'm not even taking I, know. Him.
1: <laughs> I have him in my other league, though, so it's been going well. I think we've given
2: up 100, average 168 yards over the last four weeks.
1: So, James Robinson and LaVisca Chenault, I think, is what he's trying to say. Uh, Chenault getting involved in the running game but hey james that's all of our questions jay is there anything else you wanted to ask him before we uh we let him go nah
0: man we covered all the bases man that was a- another quality episode yeah absolutely james
1: and one more time if you want to let everybody know where they can find you again we thank you so much for you coming on and you know hope we can link up again later on in the year and and hope of course that you and your family stay safe but one more time again just let everybody know where they can find your uh, your content
2: Yep, absolutely. So you can go to TexansUnfiltered.com. Uh we have writers. I write. Uh, we do a lot of different things throughout the season. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Houston FB Pod. And then you can follow me on Twitter at Houston FB Pod Guy. And on YouTube, podcast, you know, or YouTube to search Texans Unfiltered. Uh, for podcasts, just search Texans Unfiltered. It, it pops up. You know, we're um, thank you guys for having me on. I love connecting with you guys. You guys are one of the better podcasts to connect with. You guys are fun and entertaining. And that's really the best part about this. So really appreciate you guys having me on.
1: Absolutely James, well once again stay safe, take care and we'll link up again later on this year and we you know just hope that the season goes better for for both of our teams for our our sanity's sake I guess.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely, thanks guys.
1: Yeah man. Well thank you. All right guys, so make sure you check out James and the Texans unfiltered podcast again. Big shout out to him for joining us. A lot of great insight there Jay and again like, like I said, right there in the conversation we had with him, you know he's he knows what he's talking about when he shouts out Brandon Linder. Honestly, I was I was a little surprised to hear that.
0: Yeah, that shocked me. You you never say anybody say, Hey, uh, I want Brandon Linder on my team. And and when they do, it's like, Okay, yeah, this guy actually knows what he's talking about and he's done his research and he, you know, he's watched the Jags on film when we play them at least, or even more than that. So yeah, that was interesting.
1: Exactly. And just to reiterate, if Deshaun Watson does want to leave the division, he can do that sooner rather than later. Uh, I would I would wish him the best. And uh, if he wants to leave, though, by all means, you know, Deshaun, you deserve better. You should go ahead and get out of there. But let's wrap up this episode here shortly, Jay, with some predictions in terms of this week's game. You know, as we mentioned in that discussion with James, the Jags are coming up on another opponent that finds themselves without a win this season. Of course, we gave the Miami Dolphins and the Cincinnati Bengals their first wins and they have an opportunity to do that again so what do you think about this week's game this weekend's game and how do you see it panning out is Jacksonville going to get this thing back on track or are the Texans going to rally around Romeo Cornell
0: I mean you can never rule out I think this will be the case it'll be close because it's a divisional game and uh, both have defensive flaws to some degree uh the Texans, as James alluded to, they are 32nd against the Rush. Uh, you don't want to be that against James Robinson. Okay, so I'm just come out and say that. Uh, so I think you know, it's just gonna boil down to what we've been saying before, man. Can Todd watching this defense actually show some degree of resistance, you know, and just not get ran through up and down the field? Like, I mean, much like week one, while they weren't perfect. And they, you know, they did allow a lot of yardage when they needed a play. They got an interception or, you know, they got a turnover, whatever the case may be. So that's going to gonna be what it comes down to or else it's going to be a shootout. And if you are putting Deshaun Watson against Todd Wash's defense, I'm going to take Deshaun Watson every time, unfortunately. And I think he's going to run circles around us because he ran circles around us when we had elite players on our defense, let alone the players we have right now. So, don't necessarily have a good feeling about a win here, but I do think it'll be close and I do think we could end up seeing a shootout. Yeah, ultimately, with the way things are going right now, G, I just
1: don't have a lot of faith in this team. I think over on The Wire for the last few weeks, I have expected them to come out victorious. And of course, I've been proven wrong. I expected, I uh, predicted a pretty large victory against the Dolphins. And of course, that didn't happen. And then I expected them to get back on track against the Bengals. That didn't happen. So now when you have a quarterback coming in like Deshaun Watson, who for all intents and purposes, even despite what his weapons are, I feel like just like James said, he they're going to carve us up. And I do expect the Texans to get their first win of the year. But I mean, they love proving me wrong. It's like their favorite thing to do this team. So maybe, maybe I'm helping the team out by picking against them. Uh, but I do think that the Texans are going to at least start to – kind of get this thing back on track with a win here on Sunday against the Jags.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. I'm concerned um, about Deshaun Watson alone. If you take Deshaun Watson out of the equation, it's a winnable game for the Jags, even with their defense. Uh, but just like I said, his history against the Jags, even when they had Jalen Ramsey, even when they had AJ Boye, Marcel Darius, Malik Jackson, Calais Campbell, they, they, he was still a problem to deal with. They could never really get him on the ground and look no further than last year as to how that game went or those games went against them.
1: Hey guys, but as always, make sure you follow us over on social media during the game, uh, where Jay and I will give you up-to-date analysis, uh, as well as uh, over on the podcast, and we'll tell you where to find that here in just a moment. Uh, Before we do that, Jay, we're going to get out of here for this week. Is there anything else you want to talk about, or or is there anything you want to mention that the listeners and fans can look forward to over on the Jaguars Wire or here on the podcast?
0: Yeah, I guess we could have gave our, like, score predictions but I mean typically we do that anyway on the uh, expert picks so we'll save it for that I guess Uh, that makes more sense anyway so uh, I'm pretty much you know scouting the Texans you know uh, players to watch on their end of things and and so on and so forth you know just getting everybody ready and uh, you know providing a you know scouting report basically is what it is on uh, the Jaguars Wire over the course of the week to familiarize themselves with Houston. So we'll do that and probably reach out to Mark Lane. Shout outs to him, the managing editor of the Texas Wire, to talk um, to do behind enemy lines in terms of a article on Jaguars Wire. We'll get that done. And uh, yeah, pretty much that'll be it as we uh, prepare for another divisional game, which, you know, could go either way when looking at how this division has panned out. All right, guys. Well, one more reminder. If you're enjoying the show,
1: head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us that five-star review as well as any comments. We really appreciate that. We're also available on all of your favorite podcast directories, which, of course, includes Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can find us at Believe.com and at Believe Podcast. Make sure to follow us all over social media at the Jaguars Wire, Believe in Jags Pod. You can find me at Phil the Filipino, F-I-L-I-P-I-N-O, and James is over at sportsgrind underscore Don. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Enjoy the game this weekend. Stay safe. This has been the Believe in the Jaguars podcast right here in the Believe Podcast Network. We believe. Do you? We will see you next time, guys.